Good morning and welcome again. We're so glad that you're here today. Appreciate so much. Those of you that are visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're very, very grateful for the number of visitors that come our way each and every Sunday. I know that I mention this often, and I don't want it to sound trite, but if you're looking for a church home, we would be more than happy to have you a part of us, have, have you as a part of the church family here. We'd love to have you come and work and worship with us as we do our best to make known New Testament Christianity in this community. I do want to make mention of the fact that our Vacation Bible School will begin a week from tomorrow. And I know a lot have a lot of work and preparation has gone into making this a great week. I would encourage you to be praying for this. We've got a lot of people that are going to be involved in the work of VBS and hopefully and prayerfully a lot of good's going to happen. It might be the case that there are going to be some young folks that will be here. First time they will ever hear anything about Jesus. And that might happen right here. So we'd love to encourage you to be a part of that. I want you to look with me today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is the great resurrection chapter. Last week in our study, we looked at Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, where Jesus assures us that he has the keys to the cemetery. He has, as he said, the keys to Hades and death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul discusses the significance of the resurrection. I know that there are a lot of people in our world today that have difficulty comprehending a day in which God will ultimately raise the dead. The Bible tells us that all who are in the cemeteries will one day come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. To those of us who are living for Christ and to those who die in Christ, we have the great assurance that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come for us. The Savior will come with the saved for the saved. And that is a tremendous thought to comprehend. I want to begin today by talking about the reality of the resurrection. The reality of the resurrection. There may be people that will dismiss the resurrection. And yet when we talk about the resurrection of the dead, we understand that the significance of it is tied to the resurrected Christ. Paul is going to talk about the prophecies of the resurrection. In verses 1 through 4, the passage read a moment ago, Paul said that he had declared to them the gospel. He said that the gospel message is that which saves us, verse 2. And then he sums it up in verses 3 and 4. He writes, I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In Psalm 16 at verse 10, the psalmist many, many years ago foretold of the resurrection of Jesus. 
He said, you will not leave my soul in Hades. Neither will your Holy One see corruption. Now, Peter on the day of Pentecost made reference to this very verse. And the whole issue of Christianity really revolves around the resurrected Christ. During the earthly ministry of Jesus in John chapter 2, Jesus said on one occasion, destroy this temple and in three days, he said, I will raise it up. He was talking about the body. And so there were many prophecies that were given relative to the resurrection. And then, what about the proof? Is there proof of the resurrection? Well, sometimes we talk about the empty tomb, and that is an indication of the resurrection. But there were some eyewitnesses, and Paul in this chapter is going to enumerate some of the eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Christ, corroborating the resurrection. Listen to him in verse 5. He said he was seen by Cephas, or the apostle Peter, and then he said by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present. He said, but some have fallen asleep, that is, they've died. After that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then he said, last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. And so here are some individuals that saw firsthand the resurrected Christ. And I would point us in the direction of John chapter 20, when Jesus appeared to Thomas. And you recall Jesus invited Thomas to examine the evidence. And Thomas responded by saying, My Lord and my God, what I would encourage people to do today when we talk about the resurrection, or for that matter, any subject related to the Bible, examine the evidence, weigh it, sift it, and then draw your conclusions. And so here the Apostle Paul enumerates those great eyewitnesses. And then the power of the, res of the resurrection. Now, Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. What are the implications of the resurrection to us? Now we talk about the significance of the resurrected Christ. Paul is going to discuss that beginning in verse 12. Listen to what he has to say. If Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And he said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. He said, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile or vain. He said, you're still in sin. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. The fact of the matter is, Jesus was raised from the dead. 
And the implications of this resurrection is this. Number one, if Jesus hasn't been resurrected from the, from the grave, then the faith that you have in Christ is worthless. This whole concept of sin and forgiveness, again, worthless. And then death, death in Christ, if he hasn't been raised from the dead, then we have no hope. The bottom line is there is no hope beyond the grave. But he was raised. And Paul said, look, if he hasn't been raised, then we are false witnesses. And yet they gave testimony of his resurrection. So, the reality of the resurrection. What about some reassurances? Are there some reassurances to us regarding the resurrection? Well, there are. First, let me talk about the termination of death. Now, the word terminal signifies to us the end, doesn't it? Death, of course, signifies to us the cessation of life. There is coming a day in which there will be the death of death. Think about that. One day, death will be no more. Paul talks about the sting of death. And we're very familiar with the separation that occurs at death. In James chapter 2, verse 26, James said that the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, there's a separation of the outward man and the inward man. What happens at death? If you were to die today, where would you go? The Bible tells us that there are only two possibilities. Those who die in Christ, they go to a place called paradise. Spoken of as the bosom of Abraham in Luke 16. Those who die outside of Christ go to a place called Tartarus. It's spelled T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. It's found in 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 4. When we die, the body is said to sleep in the cemetery. Now, we talk about the resurrection morning. When you go to bed at night and you sleep in your bed, you rise in the morning, typically, and you rise to a new day, a new beginning. At death, the body sleeps in the cemetery. Now, not the soul, but the body. That's the only thing that sleeps. The soul, however, is alive and well. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 7, when death occurs, the body returns to dust. But he said, the spirit returns to God who gave it life. The Hebrew writer tells us that God is the father of our spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. So at death, this inward man, this inward spirit or soul goes home to be with God. One day, the Bible tells us that the sting of death will be no more. Now, ever since the days of Adam and Eve, death has stalked the human family. It's made havoc of us. 
Death has won time and time and time again. If you want to know what a commentary on life is, read Genesis chapter 5. In Genesis chapter 5, over and over again, the expression is used, and he died, and he died, and he died. That's really what life's all about. It's about death. And so, look if you would at what Paul says, beginning in verse, in verse 24, he said, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God. Now, there are some people that have the idea that when Jesus comes, he's going to set up the kingdom. He's not going to set up the kingdom. The kingdom's here. When Jesus comes, he won't set up the kingdom. He will deliver up the kingdom. To whom? To God. So he will deliver the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule, all authority, and power. For he must reign till... He has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is what? It's death. I said a minute ago, there will be the death of death. Can you imagine never again having to face the sting of death? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying that death will one day end. Well, Paul says it'll end in victory, won't it? So, the termination of death. But there's a second thing here, and that is the transformation after death. Now, we talk about the reassurances that we have of the resurrection. I want you to listen to what Paul says beginning in verse 51. We'll back up and look at verse 50 in a minute, but listen to him in verse 51. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. Now listen, we shall not all sleep. Paul is saying that body might sleep in the cemetery. It might sleep in the cemetery for hundreds of thousands of years. But he said there's coming a day in which those of us who are asleep in Christ will sleep no more. So, there will be the transformation after death. Well, what about this transformation? It will be sudden, won't it? The suddenness and the surety of this transformation. Look at verse 50. Paul said, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Let me just pause here very quickly. Do you remember when Paul talked about the second coming of Christ in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? He said that the Lord would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. That's what he's talking about here. All he's saying is there is coming a day in which all who are in, his, all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. So, the trumpet's going to sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to death, or brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? 
Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right now, the body that you possess, that you dwell in, is made up of flesh and blood, isn't it? Paul's saying, there's coming a day when this fleshly, corruptible, mortal body will be transformed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. All he's saying is, it will occur so fast. It will take place at such a rapid pace, quicker than you can blink your eyes. That's what he's saying. Now somebody might ask the question, well, if this body's going to be changed, and this body is flesh and blood, then what kind of body is it going to be? wish I could help you there, but I can't. I don't know. I do not know what your body's going to look like. I don't know what my body's going to look like. I just know that this corruptible body will become an incorruptible body. This mortal body will become an immortal body. Now, the body that we have here on planet Earth, there are some things that we face every day Number one, this body has to be nourished, doesn't it? I've got to eat. I have to drink liquids. I've got to try to exercise. I've got to try to maintain the body that God has given me. The body that I live in here on planet Earth is subjected to illness, sickness, disease, and yes, death. And yet in John chapter 11, do you remember when Jesus met Martha and she said, Lord, talking about her brother Lazarus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. What the Lord's saying is, look, you may die, physically speaking, but though you die, you'll live. That's hard to understand, isn't it? When you die, you leave this world. A world of sorrows and pain and tribulations and trials and temptations, and you go to another place. You step out into eternity. If you were to die today before the Lord Jesus comes, you'll go to either paradise or to Taurus. No in between. You either go to one or the other. If you go to paradise, you go to a place of rest. You go to be with the Lord. Paul said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ, he said, it's far better. I was talking to somebody yesterday. And this individual was talking to me about Christians. And he said, you know, even though people are in Christ, they still don't want to die. I said, you're right. There are a lot of folks that are living in Christ. They don't want to die. Look, I don't want to die today. I don't know of anybody that does. But I know this. There might come a point in time in my life when because of disease pain, immense suffering, the aging process, the inability to get around, that I'm ready to go. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. When Paul looked at life, he could say, look, 
to leave this world, it's better. Why? Because number one, we're in the presence of God. Number two, we're at rest. Number three, all the things that plague us here on planet Earth that are so difficult to endure on a daily basis, guess what? They're behind us. Gone forever. And so, and think about this. Are there people on the other side? I'm talking about, do you have loved ones on the other side in paradise? Maybe you've been separated from them for a long time. And in that separation, you long to be with them again, don't you? What if you lost a child? What if you lost a mate? What if you buried your father or your mother? Don't you think you'd want to see him again? Don't you think he would look forward to that reunion? I knew of a fellow that had faced some difficult times in his life. He really wasn't that old, but he had had enough. He had had enough of this world. And because he had had enough, he was ready to go home and be with God. So you need to understand that when this life comes to a crashing halt, it's not the end. As Paul said, we shall not all sleep. Now, in light of all of this, what about the reward? Is there something better waiting for us? Listen to what Paul says in verse 58. We talk about living the Christian life. Why do we live a Christian life? Why do we study the Bible? Why do we come to Bible class? Why do we attend worship services? Why are we involved in the work of Almighty God? Because of the resurrection. Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, that is, in light of everything I've just discussed pertaining to the resurrection, Paul said, here's the mandate. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me just pause here. Are you steadfast in Christ? Are you abounding in the work of the Lord? Now, you want to go to heaven? You want to be raised to die no more? You want to be with God forevermore? You've got to be steadfast. You've got to be immovable. In other words, you can't be faithful today, unfaithful tomorrow, here today, gone tomorrow, back and forth. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. It's 24-7, day in and day out. In other words, you dig your heels in and you say, you know what, I'm not going anywhere. What was it Jesus said? Be faithful unto death. Note the mission. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Over the past week, since last Sunday, since we were here last week, what kind of work have you been involved in in, in the Lord's Church? Have you visited anybody? Have you paid a visit to anybody? Have you called somebody and said, you know what, we miss you? Noticed you weren't in services last week, love to have you back. Did you study the Bible with anybody? 
Did you take food to someone? Did you weep with someone, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12? Did you rejoice with someone? Did you bear the burdens of others, as Paul talks about? Or did you fulfill the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, when he said that we're not to be weary in well-doing, but as we have opportunity, we are to do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith? Are you abandoning in the work of the Lord? The mandate, the mission, and the motivation. Why am I faithful? Could I ask you, why are you faithful to God? Listen to what he says. Knowing that your labor is not vain in the Lord. All he's saying is everything that you do for the cause of Christ, it's not in vain. The Bible says that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. Did you know that every ounce of energy you expend in the name of Christ will not be forgotten? That there's coming a day in which we are going to receive an inheritance. It's described by Peter as incorruptible, undefiled. He said it fades not away. It's reserved in heaven for you. So there's coming a day in which all will be resurrected. I want to close by asking you a question. Where do you plan to be in 100 years? For most of us, if the Lord allows this earth to stand, 100 years from now, we will be residing in a cemetery. Be a headstone over us. And we'll await the resurrection. 100 years from now. And we've got three or four new babies, it might be the case that they'll be here a hundred years from now. But for most of us, we'll be gone, long gone, gone. Where will you be? What will the future hold for you? Will it be heaven? Will it be hell? Will you be in paradise? Will you be in Tartarus? You'll only be in one of two places. When death comes, we might reside in the cemetery for hundreds of thousands of years. But you need to understand, the Lord will not forget you. When he comes, if you're faithful, you'll come with him. And that body that may have long since turned to dust, will be raised to live forevermore. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I wish somehow I could impress upon you the importance of being a child of God. Because you need to understand, if you die outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. If you die in your sins, Jesus said, where I am, there you cannot come. If you believe him to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name. Be immersed in water. The Bible tells us that all your sins will be washed away. You'll be added to the body of Christ, Acts 2, 47. And if you're faithful until death, 
The assurance is that crown of life. If you're here today and your life's not what it ought to be, I want to encourage you, do not leave here unfaithful to God. Sometimes we use the expression on thin ice. You just have no idea how thin the ice is. If you die outside of Christ, you don't have any hope. Oh, you'll be raised, but you'll be raised to condemnation. So today we encourage you, come home as we stand and sing.